Welcome to Victory Fellowship's online podcast library. We hope you enjoy this message today. I was walking around the building this morning, just kind of scoping out your property. I'm quite envious. You've got this wonderful space. Um, and as I was, I, I felt a few things just from the Lord, and I thought I would just share it with you this morning. Um, I feel like the heart uh, is very important as to what God's got for you as a community. And I was just reflecting on that verse out of Proverbs 4 that talks about guarding your heart. And the thing about that passage is it's speaking not about guarding your heart from people. I think it's actually speaking, because that wouldn't be consistent with who Jesus calls us to be. So it can't be that. Um, But that passage just calls us to uh, guard our heart, to keep it soft and tender and um, vulnerable, really. Uh, Stay in that sensitive place to, to being able to hear God's voice to us as individuals and as a community. And as I walked around the property, I saw um, it was like the, uh, the heartbeat of the Lord over uh, the space where you walk alongside those that are in um, wrestling with addictions. And it was like the heartbeat of the Lord um, was over that space. And I thought, wow, this is really important to you that we be a people, that this community be a people that walks alongside one another. Um, In that, we stay in the rhythm of God's heart. And when we move away from that, that compassion for one another, because quite frankly, you and I both know we all have broken bits and wrestlings and addictions. I'm from the understanding after many years of walking with people that we all have addictions, every one of us. Some of us can hide them a little better than others. But I feel like there's something in that outpouring um, of God's heart for one another that keeps us in touch with his heart. And so my heart would be that you never move away from that. continually cultivate a heart of mercy and love and grace for one another. So I'm just going to pray that for you. So Lord, thank you for this community. Thank you for the things that you've put on their heart. Thank you for those ways that they are already in rhythm with your heartbeat. And Lord, we just bless those areas. We ask for your protection. Let nothing be stolen from those areas of your heart's expression, already tangibly seen in this community. And Lord, I ask for more. I ask for more. I just see the Lord's heart and his desire to stretch those parameters. And so, Lord, we say yes. Would you give provision? Would you give resource and people who are willing to lay down their lives to walk this way with you, God? Thank you. Thank you for your mercy that's already here, and we ask for more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Woo. Not bad being married to that, is it? It's like uh, pretty good. I'm I've, I've pretty blessed. Uh, we've been married uh, 30 years this year. 
Is it 30? Oh my gosh, 30. We, uh, for those of you that don't know, we, we've kind of been in and out of this fellowship. I haven't been here for a while now, but over the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years or so. And uh, one thing we just, you know, super want to make clear, and one reason why we said yes to showing up this weekend is we're just really here as friends. That's the big deal. Um, one of the one of one of the little warnings that Jesus just kind of dropped, you know, as he was walking on the earth here, uh, which I really try to take seriously. He he said, "Beware of the experts," and uh, so we're not here as experts, like in any way, shape, or form at all. It's just in the simplicity of how God weaves relationships together, uh, we're just here to share with you and be part of the story as to where it is right now and just hopefully just really want to encourage kind of the steps where you're at. We do live and come from the land where we don't need to hire snow. Uh, we just have, <laughs> it's kind of, you know, just we, we got it. So uh, we're happy to ship some down actually if you want, if you want to take some of ours. But uh, that's just like so crazily mind-bending, like... We're hiring a company to put snow on the yard so the children can play. It's like, ah! But, uh, but uh, I guess there are some benefits. We lived in Los Angeles for almost 11 years, so, so we know about uh, the lack of snow. But I've got to tell you, if you come from a part of the world like that, getting back in the rhythm of some seasons and kind of stuff, it's actually been kind of nice. And we live on the, on the west uh, side of the country, uh, just just in in the uh, in from Vancouver, which is right on the coast, uh, not far too far north from Seattle and kind of that area of the world, but we're not as we're not as wet. We don't get all the rain that Seattle gets and such, and uh, kind of live in this little valley, and uh, it's just just great. If you got to do a Canadian winter, you want to live in in Kelowna, British Columbia, where we're at, and uh, it's kind of interesting too. It's kind of a strange feeling, but I felt like it was really significant in a way. Um, sowing missions uh, into some people from Canada. But honestly, it's, it's really right. Like, it's really true. And the crazy thing is, I don't know if this will happen, and I certain, ever, certainly wanna, don't want this to be true, and it doesn't have to be true, but... Sociologists say that you know the United States of America is about 10 years behind Canada, not in technology or that sort of stuff, but in the overarching direction of culture. And Canada, some years ago, actually fell off of the list of Christian nations in the world. Uh, our Christian population went under 10%. And there's some amazing things going on in the kingdom. I mean, like, for real. Like, some incredible stuff. But that... There's a surge going on underneath our feet, isn't there? there? There are cultural shifts and sociological shifts that are fully within the hands of God, but in that weird tension of how we carry his kingdom and his grace in the midst of this world, we've we got to wake up a little bit. And the voice that we thought we just had and we automatically assumed that we had in the culture and in the society around us it kind of feels like we're yelling a bit, doesn't it? Like to, to be heard. And there's some really systemic things that, that I think the Holy Spirit is exposing that um, if we're not walking as a people of compassion and grace, 
uh, I'm afraid we're just going to sound like a clanging gong and a clashing cymbal in the midst of the dialogue. Does, does that kind of make sense? Is that a fair thing to say? And I really feel the Spirit calling us at about 2003, they're saying some of the statistics, Canadian statistics, like the attitude and the culture just really shift. One of the biggest shifts is this. Is this helpful at all? I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of prattling right now, but... Uh, and I think, I think living in, in the U.S., now particularly in L.A., which is a whole other kind of headspace than a lot of the rest of the country, uh, but it is indicative of things. It, it, it can sometimes be a, a forerunner. Since 2003, they can kind of mark it in the Canadian dynamic, and we're not exactly sure why all of this is. What, what we begin to find happening is those of us that follow Jesus are no longer identified as Christians. Like the terminology is gone. It's not Christian and non-Christian and that sort of stuff anymore. What we are categorized as is religious. And that ain't necessarily a great label. It's not a great label inside the church or outside of the church. And when I say religious, I just mean all religions. So Buddhism, Islam, Islam uh, you know, different expressions of, you know, Baha'i, whatever. You can just take a whole smattering of religion. And if we're not careful, a lot of times the evangelical church can be sort of categorized as fanatical religion. Do you hear what I'm saying? And I think communities like this, Victory, and, you know, we have several friends across North America, of course, that are of a similar ilk. But why we love to come here is to go, boy, it's a different day. And maybe Jesus was right. Wouldn't that be crazy? Like if actually some of the stuff he said is actually right, that the world, what did he say? The world is going to know we follow him by what? The love, but not, something really interesting going on. This isn't my talk for this morning, but I'm just thinking about this standing up here. It's not just the love in a general sense. This is really fascinating. It says the love that we show for who? Each other. In Galatians chapter 6, you have one of the earliest followers of Jesus and was, a, was a, just a, a brainiac and an entrepreneur and like a super innovative person, a man named Paul. Uh, he kind of helped establish the face of Christianity in a lot of cultures and scenes that were outside of Jerusalem and kind of the normal way to, to connect with God. And he just had an amazing ministry that took him all over the world. But in Galatians 6, Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good right? And I think that's a word that just rests on this community. Don't, don't get tired. Find ways to sustain and to support each other. And as Anita was saying, walk a line along side of each other. Because like, doing good is like a really big part of this whole message. And particularly, I'll speak from my, my own vantage point as a as a Caucasian, as a, as a white North American, I, we, we haven't been really good people in the sense of, like, we're not that nice a lot of times. Maybe, maybe you know, Jesus, you know, maybe, maybe just a helpful piece of wisdom from the Lord. It's like, just be nice. If we could just be nice, you know, we might, we might have a little more traction in the culture and society around us. Is that going to make sense? Just, like, be kind. You ever, you ever heard that, like, show up in the biblical text at all? It's like, just be nice. Just be nice to each other. Don't get tired of it. Don't get weary in doing good. 
especially though it's the text says which is kind of fascinating because you can kind of just right blow by this it's like especially to those in the household of faith why would that be true kind of sounds a little bit like jesus right love your neighbor as yourself what is that that can't be some kind of jacked up messed up like self-focused gospel or Personally, I'm not a Buddhist. I, I don't believe I've got a little spark of goodness inside me that I just need to, like, coddle and, like, awaken. And I, I think I'm pretty messed up right down to the core of who I am, and I really need Jesus. But as I encounter the grace and the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, I'm made alive from the inside out. But I, I was dead prior to that. Does that kind of make sense? I'm not talking about some self-actualized, kind of just kind of grind it out, like just kind of be good people and talk ourselves into something. No, it's stepping in humility into the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit, and we actually become a different kind of people. And we do good, especially to the household of faith. We begin to love our neighbors as we love ourselves because there's something that we, in the exchange of giving something away, it can be tainted if, if, the, if the source isn't that good, right? And as Pastor Frank was already saying, it, it, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's, it's he that, that we're really calling upon. But if we care about authenticity, we care about being genuine, we've, we've got to figure out how to care for each other so that we can care for those around us. Does that make sense? We all know the systems are, are pretty, pretty messed up. And our leverage point is not power, it's love. Our, our leverage in the kingdom of heaven is to just walk in the simplicity of God's authority, knowing that he's backing us up. We don't have to make anything happen. There's a difference there. And Jesus, as we're thinking about a lot this time of year, emptied himself. He emptied himself. Position and title and authority. All the stuff we thought you needed to make a change in the world, he gave it all up and he just came and loved us. It's incredible, isn't it? All the stuff... We still think today we really need or we can't really change things. He just came in the simplicity of emptiness, completely relying on his Father and the work of the Holy Spirit and served us to the point of death. It's incredible. You think of some of our great examples in American history and Canadian history and history of the world, those who have really really brought systemic change, particularly in the issues of, of justice and, and compassion. They were pretty selfless people. And a lot of them ended up giving the ultimate sacrifice, right, of, of death. But it's this incredible power that comes from having no power. It's like wild, isn't that crazy? And that's the hope of the nations, isn't it? That's the good news. Hey, the most oppressed, the most broken, the most marginalized, the most silenced voice, the, the one who seems to be the farthest away is actually maybe the one that's nearest to God. And everything gets turned upside down. 
And as Isaiah the prophet said, the mountains are brought low, the valleys are raised up. There's a, there's a level ground where the Spirit of God walks as he illuminates to us the Son, Jesus Christ, and we walk to the heart of the Father on equal ground. It's like incredible, isn't it? That's what I just feel every time I visit here, and, and as Anita was walking around this property, I have kind of the same thing. It's sort of like, let this be a place of level ground, Lord. Where we honor each other, we value spiritual authority and gifting, but it's never about hierarchies and leveraging of power or systems or structures. It just stays, stays level because there's only one king, one God, one Father, one Lord, one Spirit, one baptism, one church, right? So Holy Spirit, just as Maybe just a couple more thoughts to ponder, but Lord, we, we come. I, I pray for New Orleans, Lord. I pray for Kenner. I pray for Baton Rouge. I pray for the bayou and the Slidal. Lord, these areas, would you just come, Lord God? Would you let a community shine here? That you sent your winds to draw us together and structures and politics and various things maybe haven't mended like you wanted us to mend. Lord, there's there's shining lights of hope that are flickering all across the south. Lord, we say, just give us more spaces like this where we come together, where the winds and the waves drive us to a place of, of unity and cooperation and love and light and hope, in a place where we see miraculous provision and support and sustenance, where your miracles shine in a, in a most powerful way because we're just together out of desperation and looking to you as our source and our hope. So we say, let the kingdom come. Lord, we say, let your will be done. God, continue to awaken a demonstration of your life and your love through the community of faith, the household of faith. Let us see a place, Lord, where those that could, couldn't get along anywhere else would get along here. Let us just see things just turned upside down. And I say in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for a, a, a strength to come. Lord, that you would wash away any weariness, Lord, Stakes been driven deep in this soil for a lot of years, and we just pray for a fresh, a fresh stirring. Amen. Is that fair? So, kind of along the same line, if you have a Bible, you can go to Acts five. It's going to pop up on the screen as well. And I just, I love you know, 
I'm certainly affected by the technology of our times, but I'm, you know, seeing more and more, particularly the Book of Acts, it's just like the most awesome Instagram-like thing, like in the whole world. It's like these snapshot after snapshot after snapshot of, of what it looks like when the Holy Spirit really invades our space and starts to unlock the dream of Jesus, which is called his church. You know, we're talking about these shifts in cultures, in particular in the Canadian scene, once we've, we've kind of found, you know, um, and it's created a cynicism in a lot of people, right? It's sort of like we're nervous to call ourselves Christian. Church just doesn't sound super cool. And we're trying to find new language and lingo and stuff. And I, I, I love that kind of dynamic of wrestling with language and the best way to say things and all that. But you know what? I'm kind of getting to a place where I'm going, let's just redeem some of this stuff again. And just like live it out better, but say like church is not a dirty word. Like it's actually how Jesus defines his dream. And there is something that Jesus Christ himself dreams about. And the Bible at least tells us and gives us an indication that it's what he is building. There's a church that he's building that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. That is like stunning. Isn't that incredible? And I'm really tired. Probably part of the problem, at least for my own personal journey, is I put my energy and my effort into building so many things that hell just kicks the, kicks the crap out of, if you will. Uh, you know, I don't know. It, it's like I want to put my hands to the things that Jesus is building. My vantage point and understanding of the biblical text is this. This isn't like, a, this isn't like musical chairs. Like, you know, the, the, they're not playing musical chairs in heaven. You know, the, the band's kind of playing and just kind of see, well, who's going to sit on the throne when the music stops? Is it God right now? Is it the devil right now? Is it, you know, some angel right now? Is it some, you know, some apostle or some prophet or something? No, I want to tell you, God is on the throne. And he's never been off the throne. He never will be off the throne. He is seated in glory and righteousness forever and ever and ever and ever. And there's a river that flows out of his authority, his dominance, his rulership, his gracious oversight of the universe. There's a river of life that flows out of aligning with his kingdom and his ways and his purposes. And it flows through the earth. And it springs up community. It springs up, it fleshes itself out in people. This is the power of the incarnation that we're celebrating right now. Jesus became flesh and blood. I mean, this is, it's just like really hard to comprehend. But when you've met him, you know it's so true, don't you? That he knows everything about you. Not just as your creator, but now as your brother and as your friend. Every temptation we've ever faced, he's faced. Everything that we walk through, he walked through. Every stripe on our back, every wrestle of our soul, every, every painful and joyful experience, he has tasted humanity to its very depth. And here's the power and here's the call, I think, upon the church in this hour. We've so desperately wanted everything to be about escaping this reality, haven't we? But the Holy Spirit keeps showing us, and the life of Jesus shows us, that the, the, the deepest spirituality is that which goes the deepest into the human story and the human condition. 
We think to be truly spiritual and full of faith is to get away from everything, where Jesus, I think, demonstrates to us, no, 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 the deepest way of spirituality and the most robust and the most engaged faith is that which goes right down into the very darkest places of the human story and brings light and hope and freedom and, and, and release. Does that make sense? So this is the call that's upon us. If we want to have a voice in our culture, we want to have a voice in the midst of the systems and structures of America, of Canada, and indeed of the world, we must be a people of compassion and love and grace who are incarnate, who are carrying the life and the love of Jesus right down into the most broken places of humanity. To stand with the marginalized, to give a voice to the voiceless, to lay politics and religion aside, to run from the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees and come in the simplicity of care and of love. And say, apart from all of this other stuff, we will just simply stand, stand with the oppressed, stand with the broken. And we'll then together desperately cry out for wisdom as the half-brother of Jesus has taught us to call out for wisdom. God doesn't punish us for not knowing what we're doing. Remember reading that in the book of James? God does not punish us for asking for wisdom. What he wrestles with is, is, is a faith that wavers back and forth and just gets tossed around. But our solidity is not in knowing answers, it's knowing who has the answers. Whether we get them or not, this side of the return of Jesus Christ. But we stand anchored in a solid place and we again and again. If there is something about these houses of prayer and all this stuff, there's all kinds of approaches and different streams and you know, you're, you're touching it in a regular rhythm here. For me, the simplest heart cry of the whole thing is just we come together because we can't make it alone and we've got to get in the face of God and hear his heart. That's just, that's all it's about. And Jesus is building a church. He really is. And we're part of it. We're really part of it. Here's what it looks like. So one, one snapshot. This is the Holy Spirit working in the church and taking a selfie. Here it is. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Now look at this verse. This is one of the craziest verses in the, in the whole Bible to me. Uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Now we're going into verse 13. No one else dared join them. Isn't that a weird verse? It doesn't get quoted very much in church church growth seminars, no one else joined them even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women and children believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirit, spirits, and all of them were healed. Isn't that amazing? That's the church. 
There's tons of stuff to unravel here. I mean, we could like, we could just pull thread after thread after thread out of this text. But I just feel to just leave a couple things with you. And it's already been stirring. And what Anita said, uh, you know, what was that thing you read earlier, Frank, that, that Christmas blog, that was like, that was amazing. That was like a, and it's it actually it's this text. It really is. There's a couple things that just jump out at me that I, that I want to bring your attention to. You, you're seeing all kinds of things here, and communal discernment of the scriptures I, I think is a, is a lost art and something that we need to get better at. God doesn't speak like water from a spout, but He speaks like a rain, right? And I've been asked to teach and that sort of thing, and Anita and Frank and Paris and others. I mean, it's part of the gifting that we bring to the table of the church, but it doesn't mean we're the only ones that hear God. Like, that's crazy. That's crazy pants. That's just weird. Spirit is in you, right? But here's what I think a couple things are. Actually, let me say one other thing. This is going to, this all fits in. Uh, just last month, I was in the city of Montreal in Canada. Are you familiar with Montreal? Uh, the Francophone history of, of Canada is very linked to, the, to this area of the United States with the French and all of that. I don't know. There's just something there. I don't want to. Maybe we've got to try and do something together in Montreal or something. I don't know. New Orleans is very, very similar to Montreal. Especially the old city, the, the, the old, your French Quarter, if you go into old Montreal, it's very similar dynamics. Really, really interesting. Yeah. Uh, deep, deep-seated Catholicism that's kind of got really blended in with, in a synchronistic way with some Christian practices, but it's really bizarre and is actually quite antagonistic towards Christianity. Like, it's a very strange thing. And then similar dynamics, you know, the, some of the largest f art festivals and jazz festivals and, and kind of that whole thing in Canada and the Canadian scene happen right in Montreal, but it's got that same sort of, it, it, the, it's really easy for it to tip into that sort of just kind of wild, unrestrained, like, whoa, <laughs> you know, what's going on? But see, here's, here's the good news of the gospel. The answer is not to escape, it's to find where is Jesus moving in? Where is he moving into the neighborhood? Where's the stable that he's in? You know, where is he birthing something like right in the middle of everything in the place you least expect it? Where is he showing up on the margins of society? That's where his kingdom is vibrant and alive. So we have this emerging community of people that Jesus would identify as his church. And there's, again, tons of stuff in this text, but a couple things just really get highlighted to me, which I think are, are deep in your guts here. And you can, of course, challenge me on this, and particularly Frank and Paris and others that have been here a long time. But I think it's fascinating. The apostles perform many signs and wonders among the people. Now, what jumps out at me in that verse is not the signs and wonders, because I've read about that all over the place. I, I love that part of the verse. But what jumps out at me is they were performed among people. 
the early church was not a platform-driven ministry. Even the ministry of Jesus was not... Now, we get confused by this, I think, sometimes, because crowds would come, but Jesus... So where did the apostles learn this from? I think they learned it from Jesus. And where did Jesus learn it from? He learned it from his father, right? So what was his father's demonstration of love to the world? What did he do? He sent his son where? Right to where we are. And then Jesus, following the example of his father, as signs and wonders are happening, the power of the Spirit is working, where does he go? He goes where? Among the people. And particularly, as the text bears out to us, to the marginalized of society. Look at the end of the chapter, or the, the end of this chunk of verses we're looking at. It's the demonized. It's the tormented. It's the sick. It's all of this thing. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Jews in the time of Jesus Christ, or the, I wouldn't say the Jews as a general population, but the religious leaders, they developed this elaborate system of the law, which Jesus was constantly running into, right? Everybody thought he was breaking the law, but the truth was he was only breaking man-made laws that got built around actual God's laws, and then God's law turned into something it wasn't supposed to be about ever. And so Jesus is constantly kicking against that system and he's just turning it upside down and just going right into the face of the authorities around him and, and saying there's a different way to live, a new command I bring, right? That you love one another. It wasn't so much a new command. This was always God's command. It was a new commandment in the midst of all the weird religious commandments that had grown up in the history of God's people. Jesus says, no, 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 you've missed the point. It's always been about love. It's always been about drawing near. So, so Jesus goes to the sick. The, 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 Jew, the, the Pharisees in the time of Christ had developed a very elaborate system of teaching and theology and thought that if you carried any chronic illness in your body at all, you were cursed of God. Did you know that the sick, Jewish sick people, chronically ill, were not even allowed in the, in the, in the court of the Gentiles? They couldn't even go where pagans went because the Pharisees taught they were so cursed of God you didn't want to get around them. And you certainly didn't want them in your prayer meetings and stuff because they dragged the whole atmosphere of faith down. And God had abandoned all of us and we're just so desperately trying to get him back. You see how jacked up this thought, these thoughts are? And so they pushed the sick to the very margins. So Jesus healing the sick is about medical help. Obviously it's about fulfilling some prophecy. It's obviously about compassion, but way, way more than that. This is about justice. This is going to the outcasts of society and of culture. The fascinating thing is the Romans also had a very similar system of thought that they had developed. That if you carried chronic illness in your body, you were cursed of the gods, of of Zeus and of Apollos and whatever, all the different mixture of Greek and Roman gods that were happening at that time, and you were ostracized and pushed to the side. Didn't matter how wealthy you were, how poor you were, how educated you were, how uneducated you were, the bottom line of the lowest common denominator of society were the sick, and particularly those that carried leprosy. Where did Jesus go? Isn't that amazing? This is a religious statement, this is a political statement, this is, this is a communal statement, this is a societal declaration. This isn't just some sort of little church gig on the side. This is directly in the face of all the powers and structures around him. And he's saying there's a new way and there's a new day and the kingdom has come upon you. 
So get out of the way because it's never going to be the same. And you put yourself in opposition to this kingdom, you will stand in one day, whether you like it or not, staring into the face of God's, God himself. <laughs> and will say, did you learn to love? Isn't that amazing? The apostles were among the people. Whatever we call each other into, whatever we're building, whatever... And I, I'm, we're right there with Frank and Paris. I, there's, there's a stirring. There's like, there is a truly a bubble. There's a, there is a non-hyped up, marketed <laughs> anticipation of God really on the brink of, you know. When you've, when you've kind of lived in the charismatic swirl as long as I have, you're just tired of hearing the prophecy of it's just around the corner and it's just another this and, you know, there's a new thing and all that. I, the new thing is the old thing. You know, and it's just God just coming to visit his people again and again. And, and we anticipate it in, in a fresh wave. And so, so, so the, but there is a fresh stirring. I just, we just feel the wooing of the Holy Spirit. And it's just, let's, let's kind of get it a little more right this time in the sense that it's among the people. It, it doesn't minimize the need for catalytic gifting for people that can stir and, and carry something that awakens the whole community. But the end game is all of us growing up into faith and love together, not somebody having a ministry. I don't know if you know the name John Wimber, who's one of my, uh, a mentor in my life for a very long time and uh, went on to be with the Lord some years ago now, but was very involved in a lot of the dynamics of prayer and saw incredible healings and stuff. I remember sitting on several different occasions beside him on the edge of a platform or stage and the power of God's just kind of moving and people, whatever, and you get these lineup of, lineups of people that would want him to pray for them. Can you, like, give me a mantle or, like, you know, exchange your anointing or whatever all the terminologies are that, that we try to use, you know, and these lineups of people. And I, if I heard this once, I heard it a hundred times. People come up and say, John, will you just pray for me? Can you pray for my ministry? And in various and sundry ways, I mean, this is, you know, would take different forms and shapes, but the essence of what he would say every single time is this. He'd look at them and go, uh, no, I can't. They go, what? He'd say, you don't have a ministry. They go, what are you talking about? And he'd say, we all have the same ministry. It's the ministry of Jesus. Now, I can pray for you what that looks like in your life, you know, I, I, I kind of am slowly figuring out what it looks like for me to be too obedient to Jesus and to have his ministry flow through me and what I'm supposed to do. I can pray that, but, but I can't pray for your ministry. None of us have one. <laughs> that's, kind of, that's kind of healthy, isn't it? I mean, that can get overstated and can be oversaid and all that, but, you know, I'd rather err on that side than on, on the other stuff. I don't know, I think the Spirit's really awakening something. Again, this is not an endorsement of Catholicism or anything, just the simplicity of this, this man, this crazy little monk, <laughs> ends up being the Pope and just turning the perception of power and leadership upside down within that structure. You know, whether you agree with him or not, on all counts, 
I would say that's pretty true, isn't it? And it creates a lot of angst, doesn't it? Justin Welby has just come in right around the same time uh, into the, as the Archbishop of the, of the Church of, uh, of the Anglican Church, Episcopalian expression, uh, here in America. And he's got a very, very similar understanding of leadership and of power. There's, the Lord is up to something. There's just kind of these shifts that are going on all over the place. And he's always done this. He's always surprised us. There's, there's always these crazy Davids that are taking out Goliaths. And like this is the most unassuming and unexpected people, right? But the heart of it and that, that I think sustains the church that Jesus builds, if we want to stay in that track, is it's among the people. We've grown a church culture for quite some time now that's been based on giving. Give of your time, give your tithe, give your service, give your gifts, give your whatever. But I think maybe the Lord might be this, that same kind of heart of generosity, but changing it just slightly. When I read particularly the book of Acts, the community of faith was sustained by sharing, not by giving. And sharing and giving, they end up in the same place, but they're two totally different things. It's way harder to share than it is to give, isn't it? It's way easier to cut the check and just go, or just give them the car. I'm not going to share my car with someone. Hokey doodle, what if they spill their Coke on the back seat? Or they, you know, their kids smear chocolate bars all over the back, whatever. You know, what if they don't drive it the way I like to drive it? You know, it's kind of like... And particularly in our North American individualized sort of culture. And the highest favor of God upon us, we seem to assume, is that when I'm the most actualized as an individual, instead of seeing maybe the highest favor and blessing of God is upon me when I'm the most laid out in community and in serving each other and in life, right? Our First Nations... And Aboriginal peoples of North America know this story for a very long time. We haven't listened very well, have we? Then there's a second thing here. It's kind of interesting. All this activity is happening in what's called Solomon's Colonnade. To understand this, you need to remember that the temple in Jerusalem was not a single building like a great church or cathedral. It was more like an entire area of the city, like the French Quarter kind of thing. Like it expanded over many, many blocks and had all kinds of different gathering places. It covered dozens of acres. It was walled off and with several gates and porches. There were trees and shrubs and various buildings, houses where the priests on duty would lodge during their days of service. In the middle, the temple proper with its sequence of courts leading towards the Holy of Holies. But there was, there was all these other places. So you had the central temple, but then just outside of the temple were all these other courtyards and gardens. And, you know, to, to kind of use New Orleans imagery, these little courtyards in between the apartments and all these. That was very, very much what, what the temple area was like in the, in the time of of the emerging church of Jesus Christ and in the, indeed in the time of Jesus himself. And so 
the apostles, as was given their habit, as Jesus would do, they would go to the temple, they would pray, they would do their appropriate services, but it just, whatever was stirring in them with Jesus, it just couldn't be contained in this institution. They were now living stones. The Holy Spirit was inside of them. Something was beginning to stir and to birth. And so they would meet in Solomon's colonnade. Some scholars, and most particularly a man named N.T. Wright. I don't know if you're familiar with any of his writings out of, out of the United Kingdom. He's a, he's a very well-respected theologian and someone that I really like. But he describes this dynamic going on in the Solomon's colonnade was just in the face of the religious institution of his day. It was like pretty crazy. It'd be like going to some really well-known music group or something that's meeting in the Superdome. And everybody's bought their tickets and they've like saved up and there's so much excitement. And they go in, you just have this raucous like time in the Superdome and it's like an amazing concert. And then you're leaving, you're going to go home, you're going to get in your car, you're moving out in the parking lot. And there's some little crazy little band that has set up like they're a portable stage just outside of the Superdome. And they're playing this music and it's like, boy, that sounds even better than what I just heard. But it's free. Like there's no tickets, there's no whatever, and there's a few people tailgating around and stuff. And people start wandering over. And this crazy little band, every time there's a concert in the Superdome, they just set up their own little stage. And next thing you know, their crowds are way bigger than what was going on in the Superdome. You're starting to get the picture? That's what's happening in Solomon's colonnade. And the Pharisees are ticked off. Like really, really upset. That's why the text says nobody dared join them. This wasn't like some cool, hip, new thing in that sense. It wasn't just another expression of the institution as it was. It was something fresh and vibrant and new, still honoring the old. I mean, the apostles were showing up on a regular basis in the temple, but you couldn't contain this sound. You couldn't contain this love. You couldn't contain this. And next thing you know, the sick are just coming from everywhere. And because the, pe- the apostles are among the people, it's a different day. They don't have to like buy the stuff at the front door of the temple and make sure you got the right dove or the right lamb or you, you're using the right temple currency or anything. All of a sudden, man, even if you just got near Peter's shadow, maybe that would even get you healed. That's how simple this thing was. Now we have to be careful with the text, be fair to the text. It doesn't say Peter's shadow healed anybody. The heart of it is, if we could just get that close, because we can get that close. These guys are so accessible, you can like come right into their shadow. And maybe we'll be healed there. Isn't that amazing? But nobody dared join it. But they couldn't stay away. Isn't that cool? I love that about the kingdom of God. You don't dare join this thing. I mean, you know, it's like, it's like Frank was saying earlier, like, the king is here. He's coming and he's here. And there's, there's, like, a, there's like a terror in that, like a, just like this sort of strange terror. But it's like the terror that fills you like on a roller coaster ride. Like, you, like it's fun. Like, you know, something's going to happen that you just don't want to miss. You know, it's like that clack, 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 clack. You know that feeling? Just go clack, 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 clack. Oh, no, this is, oh, your stomach's like, just like. And then you just get right over the top. It's like, wah! You're down into like some crazy, crazy ride. Welcome to the kingdom of heaven, right? It's true. 
And those that are tormented by spirits, those that are sick, those that are broken, those that are marginalized, those that have help or hope nowhere else, they couldn't stay away. The image is so powerful. It's like people that didn't dare join, they kind of started getting close by bringing those that they thought needed more help than they did. And they'd bring them, well, maybe this is where they can come, right? The drug addicts in the family, the people that have ended up on the streets, people that don't seem to have it together, those that don't fit in the educational institutes, whatever. Like, well, maybe they'll get, but you know what? Eventually, everybody got drawn in. They couldn't stay away because everyone was healed. Isn't that amazing? This is the church Jesus builds. This is what hell can't prevail against. But you start straying from the simplicity of it being among people and outside the institution. Now that's not, again, I've been very careful, right? I started this whole thing. This is not, the church is the church. But when we try to sustain it through institutionalization, we lose it, right? And what makes institutions run is hierarchy and leveraging of power in politics. And these things need to be broken. They need to be broken. He does hold a scepter of justice in his hand. The simplest way to define any injustice is an abuse of power. Whether it's a law enforcement officer to someone he's working with or a doctor to a patient or someone who has more wealth than another, someone who has more privilege, who's the most popular in a circle of friends. However, power is meted out and it, and it has this allure, doesn't it? We want to slip that ring on. We don't, we don't want to actually go through the journey that it takes to throw it in to the fire and, and let it go and just completely let it go forever, right? We, we want to just use it just a little bit, just a little bit, because it could really help right now. You're kind of catching where I'm go- what, what I'm playing on and this stuff, right? Yeah, my precious, right? Just a little bit, just a little bit. And again, without overplaying all this, but you know, to keep going on the imagery of Tolkien, and I'm sorry for all of you non-Lord of the Rings fans out there, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but where did it have to be entrusted? The, the, the abandonment had to be go to the smallest and the littlest and the most humble, right? But even there, it started to hook. It just, maybe. It's an amazing how many politicians, I mean, we can think of hundreds of names just right now. If I could just get in that place of power, then I could really make a difference. And then all of a sudden, the power just changes everything, doesn't it? And it just never changes. I'm not saying that God is not calling some of us into these institutions. I think he's permeating culture and society in a very great way, but it's emptying, right? Philippians 2, think like Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be what? grasped but he emptied himself and became a servant even to the point of death thanks for listening check out our website at www.victoryfellowship.net for service times and for more information